Turn with me to the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis, and we're going to look at chapter 8. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 8. And we are, we are beginning a series today called Preparing an On-Ramp for God. Preparing an On-Ramp for God. Today we're going to look at Noah and what he did to do just that. Genesis chapter 8, verses 13 through 22. Now it came about in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. And then God spoke to Noah, saying, verse 16, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. And bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, verse 18, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Lord, help us as we study. Three things I'd like to point out from this passage. That there is a time to build, and there is a time, there's a time to sacrifice, and there's a time to sow. Noah's story is true. I realize that many call it a myth, but it actually happened. But as I talk about the reality of the story, let me be clear to say that it has nothing to do with whatever movie just came out. <laughs> I don't know who that dude was. It wasn't Noah. That dude was psychotic. That dude had issues. He needed to see a psychologist. Psychiatrists get meds. He had issues. I don't know what kind of dramatic license the, the producers of that movie felt they could use, but they sure didn't follow the script of, of the Bible. Not even close. Having said that, I'm not mad at Hollywood. Mm -mm, because they're doing me a favor. Folks that have no experience with the Bible and don't know the stories are now coming to me and saying, you know, I saw that movie Noah the other day. Is that true? Did that really happen? I said, glad you asked. And I get the opportunity to say things about it. But, but the story really did happen. Mankind was messed up. And generally, whenever we read something like this, whereby God has destroyed things, there's something on the inside of unregenerate man and sometimes regenerate man that still tends toward the flesh that almost thinks God was unfair. How could he do such a thing? Doesn't he care about humanity? This is exactly why he did such a thing, because he cared about humanity. Genesis 6 starts off by 
communicating that God saw man and man's heart thought about evil, dwelt on evil continually. We don't know people like that. Most of you don't. Because if you knew them well enough, they would have killed you by now. People who, I'm not talking about just bent toward doing the wrong thing. They dwelt on the grossest and most extreme evil constantly. And if, if God, if God would, could have saved more, he would have. He just couldn't find anybody that would be saved and wouldn't come out the same way as dwelling on evil. He only found Noah. Just one. Considering the boat that Noah built was so big, if somebody had just listened to Noah's preaching, because Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, if somebody had just listened to what Noah had to say, don't you think God was merciful enough to put him in? If they said, I repent, I don't want to die, I realize this ark is for my salvation as well as you. I want to change. Oh, there was, there was always room in God's end. Always. But nobody listened. And mercifully, God had Noah preach for a hundred years. That's how long it took to build the ark. And it wasn't just Noah's proclamation. It was the testimony of the thing he was building. Everybody had to come and look at it and say, what in the world? What are you constructing, dude? This thing was 450 feet long. An ocean liner. That big. And it was 100 miles away, at least, from the nearest water that could contain it. So there were a lot of questions. No, what are you building? Um... Yeah, God called it an ark. That's what he said it was. It was an ark. Okay. Why? What for? Well, yeah, it's going to rain. What's that? To that point, there had been no rain. A mist used to rise from the depths of the earth, it says in Genesis 2, and water all the plants. There had been no rain. You know, it's going to rain like and judgment's coming and, and this is to save humanity and animal life. And God told me to build it. And I'm built, well, well how? How are you going to get it to water? Yeah, remember that thing, rain? It's going to be a lot of water. Like a whole lot of water. Like water that floods the entire earth. And so I don't have to bring this to water. The water is coming to it, and it'll float. Yeah. Can I, can I talk to you about the possibility of not surviving this so you can survive it? Can we talk about your attitude and your heart? Because I don't think God wants... He's trying to save humanity, not destroy it. But he can't find many people who want to be a part of his plan. Noah was preaching, but nobody would listen. And it took a hundred years. This boat was so big, it took a hundred years to build it. And God was patient during the entire time. And everybody had the opportunity to see what Noah was doing day after day after day. Don't accuse God of somehow being unfair when he gave an opportunity for people to get saved. Never do that. Never do that. He is patient and kind. 
not wanting anybody to perish, and gives an opportunity for all of mankind to get right. It's we who say no, and thereby put, us, put ourselves in the place of receiving the judgment that we deserve. The wages of sin is death. When we get judged for it, don't blame God. Judgment came. Rain like nobody has ever experienced before, obviously, nor since. Because this wasn't a thunder shower with clouds. This was an envelope of water, we believe, that surrounded the earth. Genesis 1, 6 through 8 talks about on the second day that God separated the waters from above from the waters beneath. And 5, 6, 7, and 8 talk about that the waters from above and the waters beneath made an expanse he called the first heaven or the sky in which the birds flew and all the atmosphere abided. Well, we don't know what that water was above, but we do know this, that it doesn't exist anymore because that's what God pierced. He said he opened the floodgates of heaven. We're not talking about causing clouds to rain by seeding them. He opened the floodgates of heaven and rivers came down on the earth. Rivers. And the entire earth was flooded. And so this wasn't just your, your normal thing. This was really unusual. And there was so much water that it took nine months for it to recede. Nine months. And that became all the groundwater and more that we have now. Well, there was Noah. And he had escaped the judgment. And I mean, he was happy, yet he had his challenges. I mean, he was in this big boat with all these animals. Seven pair of clean animals and one pair of unclean. Now, the designation of clean and unclean was applied retroactively, we believe, by Moses, who wrote the Pentateuch, we believe, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, or what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament of the Torah. He wrote that, and as a result of writing it, God told him that there was a designation between the animals he could eat and those he could not. If it dwelt on land, it had to divide the hoof and chew the cud. You don't know what that means? Go look on Wikipedia. (laughs) If it was in the sea, it had to have scales and fins. So catfish had fins but no scales. Um, I'm trying to think what had scales but no fins. I I don't know. But you couldn't have both. Maybe a shrimp. Scales but no fins. So you had to have both in order to be clean. If it flew, it had to eat things that were seed-oriented or vegetation, not be scavengers. And if it were insect-oriented, those tasty insects, it had to divide the leg twice and jump and have wings. So crickets and grasshoppers were edible. I know we think that's gross, but okay. They were clean and unclean. Moses is writing now, ascribing what he knew that Noah did not know. Noah just knew there were certain kind of animals that needed to be brought in at certain levels of, in numbers. Moses ascribes that designation to it in writing it. And so he dwelt with all these animals. And uh, you ever been to the zoo? Uh, you, ever been to, you ever been to the ape house? When you walk in the ape house, 
What's the first thing you recognize? The smell. And I mean, you, you, you know, you, 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 the, the apes, the, the primates are so amazing, you just kind of make yourself get used to it. But you, you feel your feet moving you quicker to get out of there because the smell is so bad. It's just this natural response. You're kind of looking while your feet are going like this, trying to get out because it stinks so bad. Nine months, not 15 minutes, nine months. That's how long it took for the waters to recede from the time the waters came to when Noah was able to come out nine months. That's a long time, y'all. That's a long time. And when I get to heaven, I do want to ask Noah. I don't have any question to ask God except why did you love me so much? That's the only thing I'm going to ask. How come? I really wasn't worth it. Why did you love me so much? But I do want to ask Noah something. Did you take a shovel? I'm just asking, did you take a shovel? Because like, dude, nine months in a zoo, in an enclosed place with just one window. The ark had one window. One small one window. <laughs> so there were some challenges. And then God allows the earth to dry up. And when it says in the 601st year, on the first, in the first month, on the first day, that's not with respect to the beginning of time. That's with respect to who Noah was, meaning in his 601st year, in his first month, on the first day. Meaning that God allowed the water to dry up on Noah's birthday. Here, Noah, you need, I know you need some help. I want you to know it's your birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Two months later, all the ground was dry. So the water had receded, but it was still muddy. Couldn't navigate getting out. Two months later, all the ground was dry and he could actually come out. And when he came out, he came out not to a pretty earth. There was nothing pretty about it. This flood had destroyed everything. It was so desolate that the birds had a hard time finding some place to rest. Noah first sent out a raven when he was in the ark to try to find out if there was any place for the ark to rest and if God had preserved some kind of life. And the raven never came back. Now we do know this, that all of creation seemed to be vegetarians before the flood. God only gave for food plants and believe me nobody missed a lamb chop the plants even after the fall of course Eden was amazing I mean Adam had paradise and the fruit there was out of this world but I'm convinced that in the world that was that the, the thorns and thistles if you will that Adam had to had to harvest as a result of him being kicked out of the garden were still better than anything you can find a giant They'd use our stuff for cow feed. This food was amazing because the earth was perfectly temperate. You could plant any time. There were no seasons yet. All was right. 78 degrees every day. It was gorgeous. Beyond comprehension, gorgeous. But animals weren't on the menu and nobody missed it because the nutritional value of everything they got was fabulous. It helped them live 900 years. It was amazing. But when he sent out the raven, and by the time he did so, things happened differently. Something changed in the animals. In fact, when Noah was told to go out of the ark, he said, I want you to know, God did. He said, Noah, listen, the, uh, the earth is different. 
This is Brett's paraphrase. So now the dread of you will be upon the animals. They'll be afraid of you because you really need to use them for food now because there's nothing here to eat. Nothing. So when he sent out this raven, things had changed in the nature of beings. And what do we know ravens or crows as now? What do they eat? They're scavengers. So he sent out the raven. The raven didn't come back. Why? There was a lot of food to eat. He was scavenging. No reason to come back because there was enough food out there. Death was every place. It wasn't a pretty sight. He then sent a dove out. And the dove he sent out twice and it came back with nothing. Finally, the third time he sent out the dove, it came back with a twig. We're not talking about fruit. Just a twig with leaves on it. Noah was, hallelujah! Hallelujah, a twig with leaves! Look, everybody, I got a twig with leaves! <laughs> That's how bad it was. And by the time he exited, maybe a couple of plants were now trying to, to emerge from the earth. A couple of trees, maybe, but everything had died. It was a desolate environment. I paint that picture as accurately as I can without any amplification because it's the only way that I can contrast Noah's response from how many of us are when our circumstances of life don't go the way we want. You know, being in the church is a pretty good thing. It might smell every once in a while. But you don't need to leave. Because being on the inside of the ark, as bad as it is, is better than being on the outside of the ark. That's the only thing that made Noah happy every day. Smelling these nasty animals. Having to live in an environment where you're eating the same thing every day. Very little variety. Seeing the same things, experiencing the same things. You talk about claustrophobia, nine months. Listen, people who live in submarines have to be trained to do so, or else they'll go crazy. They have to be, you have to discipline your soul to not think, I am so confined that I can't get out. Nine months with no exit. On top of that, he comes out into this. I mean, I know that I'm not about to speak about anybody in our church, but you know people like this who say, God, you put me in this church? Are you kidding me? These people don't even love me right. Nobody hugged me today. I missed one service. They didn't even call to find out how I was doing. And I mean, I tell you what, I went to a Bible study and somebody said something to me that just, you know, kind of turned me out. And I, I don't know if these people really love me. One complaint after another after another after another, whether it be in the church, whether it be at your job, whether it be any place that God provides. And rather than being thankful for being saved from that which is worse, we are mad at God about not giving us what we want. And we complain. If anybody had reason to complain, it would have been Noah. And then, okay, I get to get out of the ark. <laughs> and he comes into nothing. Oh, come on, God. 
I mean, at least you could have let me have a little something. I mean, you could have planted an apple tree before I got out. You got that miracle stuff, power working. You could have produced something for me. There's nothing here. I can't believe you let me come into desolation. That's my blessing. I'm supposed to be happy about this. Are you kidding me? Now, I know I'm not talking about anybody here. You never have these attitudes, but you do know people who complain about God's provision because it's not enough. And, and somehow or another, in the midst of their complaint, thankfulness just sprouts wings and flies away. They forget about how God has provided. They forget about what he has done, that he loved them so much that he didn't regard their sin as being that which would keep him away but he actually drew close to them and forgave them of all of their misdeeds. Though they were worthy of death, he gave them life. And though they, they shouldn't receive any blessings here on the planet, he continues to let them do this. Breathing ain't a bad thing, y'all. That's a real blessing. I know we take it for granted, but try not doing it for a minute. You'll become thankful. He lets, he lets us eat his food. Drink his water. And then he not only decided I'm going to forgive your sin, I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for your benefit. We didn't even ask him to do it. He just said, I'm going to do it because I care about you. He sacrificed the most in order to get us right. He gave his all for our benefit. And somehow or another, when we don't receive the latest blessing, when we don't feel like he's really treating us the way we think he should, all that about what he's already done just seems to float away. We develop spiritual amnesia. And now we're mad at God, almost accusing him of not caring. If anybody had a reason to complain, it was Noah. Whew. I'm in this nasty ark for nine months. And then you bring me out into nothing? You call this a blessing? We hear none of that from Noah. And it's not that we just don't hear a complaint. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to not complain and, and do nothing. That's good. At least you didn't do something bad. But you really get no, no smiles from God, no affirmations from him because you didn't sin. He's really not impressed that we didn't sin. But there are things that do get his attention. Noah comes out, and the first thing he says is, I'm going to build something for my God to let him know how grateful I am. That without being told. I was in a counseling session with a couple, and um, the husband wasn't very expressive in his love. And so the wife was a little concerned that she wasn't feeling all the kind of affirmation that she ought to feel in a relationship like this. And so she was telling me, he never tells me he loves me. He never tells me how pretty I am. And, and the husband's sitting there, you know. You know, you know. <laughs> She's right. I said, well, you need to tell her that. You need to express it in word. And he was listening and understand, okay, I got to do better. And the wife was sitting there saying, wait, pastor, hold on. If you have to tell him to tell him to love me, to, t to make him love me, to say it out of his mouth, then it loses something. He ought to just say it. It ought to just come from him to, to really mean something. I said, hmm, you have a point. But if you want this one to tell you that he loves you, 
If that's what you want, he gonna have to be told. Other men may not yet need to be told, but this one here, he needs to be told. That's who you married, I'm sorry, you married him, I didn't. If you want it, I need to tell him. <laughs> Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. The angels come to God and say, you mean we got to tell him that? You, you, you got you to tell him to love you? Huh. They're that messed up? You have to tell them. They shouldn't be told. To, but you got to love your neighbor as yourself. You, wait, you got to tell them to love them? I got a sermon I call Unnecessary Instructions. I kind of borrowed some of it from Pastor Jim. Um, you can go online and look, and there, there are things. Un- just type in Unnecessary Instructions. It'll have a whole lot of different things you can click on there. Pack of nuts from American Airlines. You know those little nuts you get? On the back of the nuts, it, there's a little instruction that says, Contain nuts. <laughs> Contains nuts. Why did they put that there? Because somebody who has allergies to nuts didn't know that the package of nuts contained nuts. So, so the maker of the package of nuts had to tell people there are nuts in here, even though there are pictures of nuts on the package. It says nuts on the package. No, 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 that wasn't enough. You have to have an instruction on the back. Contains nuts. On, on, a, on a spray can of paint. It says, do not point toward face and press. Why did they write that? Because somebody did that. <laughs> Dishwasher. Do not let children play on the inside. <laughs> Somebody closed up their child in the dishwasher. Somebody closed up their child in the dishwasher. Unnecessary instructions. Do not murder. God, you got to tell them that? If somebody has something, it's not yours. And if you take it, it's called stealing. That's not good. You got to tell them that? Really? Shouldn't they know better? The Ten Commandments are beautiful. I love them. But we have to be told them. Honor your mother and father that your days may be... You mean there are people who are going to rise up and dishonor the people who created them and sacrificed for their well-being and changed their diapers and paid for their schooling and gave them food? You mean somebody's going to rise up one day and dis... You got to tell them that? This is how messed up we are. We have to be told everything that is right to do before we begin to talk about how good humanity is, let that sink in.
if humanity does anything good, it's because God told them. Otherwise, they'd be in the generation of Noah that didn't make it. This amplifies Noah because he came out of the ark and nobody told him to do what's next. He said, I got to say thank you to God. No complaint. Not just not doing wrong. He went another level. I got to say thank you to God. Now, a verbal is always good. To say thank you verbally is necessary and right. In fact, some of you gave Christmas gifts to other people and you are still waiting for a thank you. You're not trying to cross them off the list next year if you didn't get one. But you're, you're saying, okay, I, technology helps folk today. You don't have to write me a note. You ain't got to go out and buy a card and pen it. Just text me. Just let me know you got something. Now, you good Christians are not trying to be that way with people. You're just going about your everyday business smiling whenever you see them. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, that ungrateful. I can't believe they didn't at least say thank you. How, how much do we go through life not thanking God? He is so benevolent and so kind and so patient. Noah was rejoicing in the fact that he was saved. And there's something about the beauty of not having to, to, to go through the judgment that you deserve that ought to set the tone for every day of your life. Noah was saved through judgment. So have you been. He's given his son for your benefit. You've been saved. And I don't care how difficult the circumstances are around you, how desolate it looks, how unhopeful it makes you feel. Every day you ought to rise with this first in your mind. I'm not going to hell. And I thank God that he's called me his own. Life may not treat me well today. But I'm blessed. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Father, I thank you for saving me from my own judgment. That's how your day ought to start every day. And if you never receive another blessing for the rest of your life, thankfulness ought to set the tone for your every day. Having said that, that doesn't mean we need to settle. I'm picking up my cross every day that I might obey him and thus be worthy of receiving benefits that can bless my community and my family. I'm trying to live in such a way that blessings come upon me and overtake me out of Deuteronomy 28. I'm trying to do that. I'm not just settling, but if I never get another thing, I've got enough. Noah comes out of there with nothing, with nothing. And he says, let me, let me build something to my God. And so he builds this altar. What are you building for God? How do you say thank you? Are you building your life? Is there a construction project that is obvious to you and everybody else that comes around to say, wow, they are really doing something every day to, 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 to make sure God is pleased with them. They're constructing their lives in an orderly manner according to Scripture. Is there anything that's happening like that? Are you building your family? Are you building your personal life? If you've got a business and you're entrepreneurial in your orientation, are you building something for God or is it just for you? What are you building? The first thing Noah did when he came out of the ark without being prompted and never needing to be told, he says, I'm going to build something for my God. And it was something upon which he could sacrifice. And so, again, this wasn't prescribed. 
He said, I'm going to sacrifice one of every clean animal to my God. Now, think about this for a minute. All the wealth of the planet at that point was embodied in what he had. There was no economy except his. This was a bank account into which no deposits would be made. He had a limited amount of resources. Surely the animals would multiply, but they would do it only as time permitted. And it would take a long time to see a great increase. Yet God said, I give these animals as food for you. This is your provision, and they are your help. We don't know exactly what the animals were like before the flood, but we do know this, that when God created them, he created them within the context of being helped to Adam and Eve. So the best way we can look at the animal kingdom with respect to the human kingdom is that the animals were kind of like pets, every one of them. Lions were able to be petted every day, and they were supports to Adam and to Eve and to all of humanity. They weren't seen as being dangerous. In fact, there's something akin to believing that they could talk. This is why Eve was not concerned when the, when the serpent began to talk to her and say, wait a minute, why are you talking? Where would you get language from? Just has a conversation. Now, it's interesting. Just as a side note, animals can still understand us. That's why you can train a dog. Answer to its name. Tell it when to sit. They can understand us. We just can't get them. Something happened in the fall where communication was broken down from us to them. And we have to work hard to get them to understand us. But communication was possible before the, the fall. And so there's a kind of a pet kind of relationship going on here, which would make the ASPCA really happy. <laughs> God's original intent about animals and humans. But afterwards, after the flood, God said to Noah, the dread of these animals will be upon you. Excuse me, the dread of you will be upon these animals and they will be afraid of you because now you must use them as food because there's no other vegetation for you to eat. And yet he had a limited number and he said this, I'm going to sacrifice one of every clean animal to my God. Again, there was no bank account that was receiving regular deposits. The man didn't have a job that would provide for him for a long, long time. He had a limited amount of resources and he said the first thing I'm going to do is sacrifice to God. What do we do when we have limited amount of resources? Ooh, I got to hold on to what I got. I don't know where my next check is coming from. I, don't know. I might be unemployed next month. Ooh, got no income and all out go. I got to hold on. I got to hold on. I got to hold on. Noah says, uh-uh. I'm going to sacrifice. And one of every clean animal, I don't know how many there were, but they were all burnt offerings. Now, again, a designation given retrospect. Burnt offerings were different than guilt offerings or sin offerings or votive offerings. Guilt offerings, sin offerings, and votive offerings were things that the offerer could partake in. Meaning once you offered it to God, you could sit down and have a meal. It became a spiritual barbecue, if you will. But a burnt offering was solely God's, meaning the entire thing was consumed by the flames. Noah said, I'm giving my God everything of every offering. I'm not going to take a thing. This is my walk of faith. And saying, thank you, O oh Lord. What a man. And that without needing to be told. But we are constantly needing to be told how to sacrifice. When to sacrifice. Rarely are we just inspired because we are so grateful for what God has done. And nobody has to tell us to do anything. No, it was amazing. And then, he didn't know it, but he was building an on-ramp for God as I closed. He didn't know it. 
He was just doing what he, he felt he needed to do to express how good God was. It says the Lord smelled the aroma. <laughs> as busy as God is in the earth, you can get his attention. Do something unusual in terms of sacrifice. Don't just be ordinary and routine. Do something that he doesn't even require of you. Be special. It says that when God smelled the aroma coming from Noah's sacrifice, he said, my goodness, what's going on there? That's amazing. So inspired the Lord. Now, he may have had this in his heart before he said it. But there's a link between what Noah did and what God said. Once he smelled the aroma, he said, I'm not going to bring judgment on the earth ever again like this. And I'm not going to destroy mankind. Never, never again will every, any, every living thing be destroyed by me. <laughs> you have no idea how important your sacrifice is to everybody else. It's not just about you. You have no idea how important your sacrifice is to the benefit of humanity. Listen to me. It's not a stretch to say this, that because Noah sacrificed, we're saved. Don't you think that there were many other opportunities where, whereby mankind was evil and thinking about it only, whereby God would have been prompted to destroy it again? Yet he hasn't. Why? tied to Noah's sacrifice. All of us are able to do this because Noah sacrificed. And then God said, I'm not only not going to destroy, I want you to know that I'm going to bless you. But there are things that changed in the earth and you have to know, understand what these are, Noah. One, as long as the earth remains, it's going to be seed time and harvest. Two, it's going to be cold and and, and heat and winter and summer and day and night. These four things, as long as the earth remains, will exist. The climate had changed. I don't know what that envelope of water necessarily did, but I know what it didn't do. It didn't allow for there to be extremes in temperature because whatever, whatever temperature arose from the, from the terra firma, the land, was caught by the envelope of water and the entire earth benefited from it. Now that that was gone, boy, you had super extremes. You had a day that was hot because the water no longer shielded all of humanity from its direct, ray, direct rays of the sun. So you had days that were hot and you had nights that were cold. And so this is why God says day and night different than the kind of day and night that we see in the book of Genesis chapter 1 when God created day and night. Just more extreme. Also cold and heat. Boy, I mean... It, noonday uh, in, around the equator 110 degrees and at the poles eh, if it's a warm day if it gets to 25 cold and heat summer and winter there were no seasons before this and so now you had seasons which meant that there was a time to harvest and a time to sow before then you could harvest and sow at any time April, May, December February, just put the seed in the ground. It'll grow. But now, hey, around here, you, you can't put any seed in the ground today. It'll die. So there are seasons to sow. We're in the process of finishing our building. We've done $7.5 million worth of construction, and that with no construction debt. A miracle from Almighty God. 
Miriam. I thank him every day. That in addition to our regular general budget. So I am very, very grateful. But we need to finish this building this year. And we are three and a half million dollars roughly away from abiding in that facility. And we're still not going to take any debt. So we are believing that God is going to perform miracles through you. Because now is a time to sow. It's a time to sow, time to plant, and a time to harvest. It is time to sow so that we can harvest a facility that will allow many more folks to hear what you're hearing this morning, to experience the presence of God in tangible ways and to see their lives changed for good. Noah built an on-ramp for God to do some things. Will you? His gratefulness was tangibly expressed. How is yours? Please build something. Something upon which you can sacrifice something of value to God. And watch how God will respond. Do something so unusual that he has to say, what is going on in Tamika's life? That is amazing what she's doing. I've got to respond. What's going on in Tom's life? What's going on in Jose's life? I've got to respond to that. And the benefit will not only be for you, but for many more people in your sphere of influence. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Please inspire us and help us. We honor you for the privilege of being a part of your plan. Do what you will.